Part 1, Section 7 of The Dark Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremy Cat. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy, Section 7. Then followed for young Lenin a strange time when he never knew from minute to minute whether he was happy, always trying to be with her, restless if he could not be, sore if she talked with and smiled at others, and yet when he was with her, restless too, unsatisfied, suffering from his own timidity. One wet morning, when she was playing the hotel piano, and he listening, thinking to have her to himself, there came a young German violinist, pale and with a brown thin-waisted coat, longish hair and little whiskers, rather a beast in fact. Soon, of course, this young beast was asking her to accompany him as if anyone wanted to hear him play his disgusting violin. Every word and smile that she gave him hurt so, seeing how much more interesting than himself this foreigner was. And his heart grew heavier and heavier, and he thought, if she likes him, I ought not to mind. Only I do mind. How can I help minding? It was hateful to see her smiling and the young beast bending down to her. And they were talking German so that he could not tell what they were saying, which made it more unbearable. He had not known there could be such torture. And then he began to want to hurt her too. But that was mean. Besides, how could he hurt her? She did not care for him. He was nothing to her, only a boy. If she really thought him only a boy who felt so old, it would be horrible. It flashed across him that she might be playing that young violinist against him. No, she would never do that. But the young beast looked just the sort that might take advantage of her smiles. If only he would do something that was not respectful. How splendid it would be to ask him to come for a walk in the woods and, having told him why, give him a thrashing. Afterwards, he would not tell her. He would not try to gain credit by it. He would keep away till she wanted him back. But suddenly, the thought of what he would feel if she really meant to take this young man as her friend in place of him became so actual, so poignant, so horribly painful that he got up abruptly and went towards the door. Would she not say a word to him before he got out of the room? Would she not try and keep him? If she did not, surely it would be all over. It would mean that anybody was more to her than he. That little journey to the door indeed seemed like a march to execution. Would she not call after him? He looked back. She was smiling. But he could not smile. She had hurt him too much. Turning his head away, he went out and dashed into the rain, bareheaded. The feeling of it on his face gave him a sort of dismal satisfaction. Soon he would be wet through. Perhaps he would get ill. Out here, far away from his people, she would have to offer to nurse him. And perhaps, perhaps in his illness, he would seem to her again more interesting than that young beast. And then, ah, uh, if he could only be ill. 
He mounted rapidly through the dripping leaves towards the foot of the low mountains that rose behind the hotel. A trail went up there to the top, and he struck into it, going at a great pace. His sense of injury began dying away. He no longer wanted to be ill. The rain had stopped. The sun came out. He went on, up and up. He would get to the top quicker than anyone ever had. It was something he could do better than that young beast. The pine trees gave way to stunted larches and these to pine scrub and bare scree, up which he scrambled, clutching at the tough bushes, terribly out of breath, his heart pumping, the sweat streaming into his eyes. He had no feeling now but wonder whether he would get to the top before he dropped, exhausted. He thought he would die of the beating of his heart, but it was better to die than to stop and be beaten by a few yards. He stumbled up at last onto the little plateau at the top. For full ten minutes he lay there on his face without moving, then rolled over. His heart had given up that terrific thumping. He breathed luxuriously, stretched out his arms along the streaming grass, felt happy. It was wonderful up here, with the sun burning hot in the sky, clear blue already. How tiny everything looked below, hotel, trees, village, chalets, little toy things. He had never before felt the sheer joy of being high up. The rain clouds, torn and driven in huge white shapes along the mountains to the south, were like an army of giants with chariots and white horses hurrying away. He thought suddenly, suppose I had died when my heart pumped so, would it have mattered the least bit? Everything would be going on just the same, the sun shining, the blue up there the same, those toy things down in the valley. That jealousy of his an hour ago, why, it was nothing. He himself, nothing. What did it matter if she were nice to that fellow in the brown coat? What did anything matter when the whole thing was so big and he such a tiny scrap of it? On the edge of the plateau, to mark the highest point, someone had erected a rude cross, which jutted out stark against the blue sky. It looked cruel somehow, sagged all crooked and out of place up here, a piece of bad manners as if people with only one idea had dragged it in without caring whether or no it suited what was around it. One might just as well introduce one of these rocks into that jolly dark church where he had left her the other day as put a cross up here. A sound of bells and of sniffing and scuffling roused him. A large gray goat had come up and was smelling at his hair. The leader of a flock that were soon all around him, solemnly curious with their queer yellow oblong pupiled eyes and their quaint little beards and tails awfully decent beasts and friendly. What jolly things to model. He lay still, having learnt from the fisherman, his guardian, that necessary habit in the presence of all beasts, while the leader sampled the flavor of his neck. The passage of that long, rough tongue athwart his skin gave him an agreeable sensation, awakened a strange, deep sense of comradeship. He restrained his desire to stroke the creature's nose. It appeared that they now all wished to taste his neck, but some were timid, and the touch of their tongues simply a tickle, so that he was compelled to laugh, and at that peculiar sound 
they withdrew and gazed at him. There seemed to be no one with them. Then, at a little distance, quite motionless in the shade of a rock, he spied a goat herd, a boy about his own age. How lonely he must be up here all day. Perhaps he talked to his goats. He looked as if he might. One would get to have queer thoughts up here, get to know the rocks and clouds and beasts and what they all meant. The goat herd uttered a peculiar whistle and something, Lennon could not tell exactly what, happened among the goats, a sort of, here sir, seemed to come from them. And then the goat herd moved out from the shade and went over to the edge of the plateau and two of the goats that were feeding there thrust their noses into his hand and rubbed themselves against his legs. The three looked beautiful, standing there together on the edge against the sky. That night after dinner, the dining room was cleared for dancing so that the guests might feel freedom and gaiety in the air. And indeed, presently, a couple began sawing up and down over the polished boards in the apologetic manner peculiar to hotel guests. Then three pairs of Italians suddenly launched themselves into space, twirling and twirling and glaring into each other's eyes. And some Americans, stimulated by their precept, began airily backing and filling. Two of the English Grundies with carefully amused faces next moved out. To Lenin, it seemed that they all danced very well, better than he could. Did he dare ask her? Then he saw the young violinist go up, saw her rise, and take his arm and vanish into the dancing room. And leaning his forehead against a window pane with a sick, beaten feeling, he stayed, looking out into the moonlight, seeing nothing. He heard his name spoken. His tutor was standing beside him. You and I, Lenin, must console each other. Dancing's for the young, eh? Fortunately, it was the boy's instinct and his training not to show his feelings, to be pleasant, though suffering. Yes, sir. Jolly moonlight, isn't it, out there? Ah, very jolly, yes. When I was your age, I twirled the light fantastic with the best. But gradually, Lenin, one came to see it could not be done without a partner. There was the rub. Tell me, do you regard women as responsible beings? I should like to have your opinion on that. It was, of course, ironical, yet there was something in those words. Something. I think it's you, sir, who ought to give me yours. My dear Lenin, my experience is a mere nothing. That was meant for unkindness to her. He would not answer. If only Stormer would go away. The music had stopped. They would be sitting out somewhere, talking. He made an effort and said, I was up the hill at the back this morning where the cross is. There were some jolly goats. And suddenly he saw her coming. She was alone, flushed, smiling. It struck him that her frock was the same color as the moonlight. Harold, will you dance? He would say, yes, and she would be gone again. But his tutor only made her a little bow and said with that smile of his, Lenin and I have agreed that dancing is for the young. 
sometimes the old must sacrifice themselves. Mark, will you dance? Behind him he heard his tutor murmur, Ah, Lennon, you betray me. That little silent journey with her to the dancing room was the happiest moment perhaps that he had ever known, and he need not have been so much afraid about his dancing. Truly it was not polished, but it could not spoil hers, so light, firm, buoyant. It was wonderful to dance with her. Only when the music stopped and they sat down did he know how his head was going round. He felt strange, very strange indeed. He heard her say, What is it, dear boy? You look so white. Without quite knowing what he did, he bent his face towards the hand that she laid on his sleeve, then knew no more, having fainted. End of Section 7 from The Dark Flower Recording by Jeremy Cat.